Oh, that's a good one. I humbled myself. And that, that almost in itself sounds not humble. But um, I think before I came over here, I always said there was the Adam before um, graduating from college. And there was the Adam um, after, um, which I think is more of what I am now. And I don't think they're completely different people. But I think I learned so many things along my journey um, that I just learned that this isn't all about me. Um, you know, uh, there's plenty, of, there's other people to help in this world. And there's plenty of other people that need more things than I do. Um, you know, I'm not going to cry or, or get upset because I can't or I want the latest pair of boots, shoes, jeans, jacket, hat, whatever it may be, fashion item, when there are people who I've literally come across in playing and coaching who couldn't even afford to put, um, you know, shoes on their feet and would happily wear second-hand, third-hand cleats. That was Adam Reeks, and welcome back to another edition of the Harris Health and Mind podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Harris Health and Mind podcast. Today's podcast is going to be slightly different. We have a Skype call with Adam and myself discussing all things football, soccer-related, and the transitions between uh, living in England to then going to play stateside. If you're someone who's interested to go and coach or play stateside, highly recommend this podcast. Adam is a very knowledgeable guy and very refreshing, as you'll hear in the podcast. Once again, um, share this with friends and family who may be interested. Stay tuned. Peace. Just obviously wanted to get your story for those that aren't listening. Um, you're from Colchester in the United Kingdom and you moved to America um, stateside, started playing. Um, just sort of start from the beginning and talk about, um, yeah, football from a young age and, and sort of what you wanted to do when you were younger. Sure. Um, yeah, just, I mean, not really much of a different upbringing than anyone else um, too much or, 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 or too substantially different. Um, just played football as a kid all the way growing up. Um, um, obviously against yourself and, and other kids in the Colchester area growing up um, around, around the same age. And always just wanted to be involved in football. Never, you know, never really crossed my mind to make a career out of it too much. And obviously it was a pipe dream and always something that every kid wants to do, but I never really thought about it um, too seriously. Just wanted to play and enjoy it and have fun and um, I was always around football. <clears throat> my dad and my brother, would, would, as I got older, would would start playing and being involved in in semi pro football around the local area. And so I got to feel the sort of um, feel the vibe and atmosphere of of men's football from a young age, and it sort of became contagious. And um, and so I sort of fell in love with the game heavily, and never really wanted to leave the game. And as I'm sure you you were the same as well. Um, and then sort of got to around sort of uh, 17, 18 and sort of thought that, um, you know, semi-professional football in England was going to take me a certain route um, and coaching in England was going to take me a certain route and a certain path. And I wouldn't have minded being on that path, but I thought there was maybe something out there that was a little bit different for me or something that was going to be a little bit um, life, more life-changing and just sort of going in, in that direction um, something that could maybe be more suited to what I really wanted to get out of the game. And so, um, you know, I had spoken to a few friends of mine. One went and played in Sweden. One went and played in Australia. 
Um, and then a contact of mine's um, cousin went and played in America. He was a few years, I think he was maybe four years older than me. And um, I contacted him. His name was Josh. Um, we spoke for a long time and, and Josh wanted to really help me get out. He was just about to graduate his college and finish his college career. And so he had a few contacts and really wanted to get me out there. And, um, and he thought that would be a good opportunity for me to sort of go and get my education, which I had planned to do in England anyway, get my university degree. Um, and on top of that, you know, play and experience the sort of um, the, the American soccer culture, as it were, um, and, and get to get to learn um, all about that. Um, so, yeah, I think one thing led to another sort of the process was was fairly short. He put me in contact with a few coaches and I went um, through the um, clearinghouse route of trying to get all of my documents to the appropriate coaches and the appropriate uh, administrative people and um, finally got whittled down that you know I wasn't allowed to go to an NCAA um, institution because of the fact that I had finished school um, did two years of education uh, in college in England and then I was on my I was on like a year off from um, education so I had no longer continued my education that would then um, be considered under the NCAA ruling uh, a year um what they call over here the NCAA has their they call it the clock my clock would have started um so what that meant is that I was um already a year into my college uh, American college career so I now was going to have to sit a year no matter where I went um I would be ineligible to play for a year lots of things were going to be um a problem but it, it doesn't mean it's the end it just meant that I had to either go to a junior college um, which is only a two-year school, and then go from somewhere from there, or go to an NAIA school, which is another affiliation of colleges over here. So that's what I chose to do. Um, spoke to a few a few schools, a few coaches, and decided that um, Reinhardt University, which is um, only about half an hour north of where I am now in Atlanta, um, would be my would be my my choice for a few reasons. And I think anyone who's listening that really wants to try and go and play collegiately in America, I think one of the biggest pieces of information and, and advice I would give you um, in terms of picking a school and picking a location is you can look at their record and how many games they've won or lost or um, if pro a pro career is what you're after, you can look at how many players from their program has gone and played professionally, um, amongst other things, many other things you can look at from a football standpoint. But I think one of the most important things is that you know, you're only on the field for maybe an hour and a half a day, two hours a day. Um, the rest of the time you've got to spend on that college campus and at those classes um, and getting your de your degree. Um, so the biggest thing for me would be make sure you pick a campus that you think is going to be suitable for you, that has the right facilities for you, has the right um, layout for you. Is it close enough to a city if that's what you're after or is it in the middle of nowhere if that's what you're after? Is it close to a beach if that's what you really want? You know, do, are you willing to sacrifice other things to get it close to a beach? Whatever it might be, do, do you want it to be? What, what do you want your college campus to be? And so make, make sure that that's important. For me, I wanted it to be not remote uh, and in the middle of nowhere, but but quiet because I know that if I was with a load of if I had a load of distractions, I would never get my degree. I would I, you know I would struggle to focus and knuckle down on um, the club, the schoolwork. Um, but I wanted it to be close enough to you know a city or or a good area that had things to do. So this ticked all the boxes, and the soccer along with it was fairly substantial. Um, um, so 
um, that was the biggest thing for me was 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 a good location and a good campus. And um, as soon as I got there, I really enjoyed the the whole experience at Reinhardt and um, fell in love with it. As soon as I got there, I fell in love with the whole American culture and um, American college soccer and all, all of the things that go along with it. I, I fell in love with and really enjoyed <clears throat> every minute of it. So. Mm. yeah that's kind of my that was kind of my story leading up to america anyway and um sort of 17 to 19 years old that that was a, a, a the period of where i tried to get myself out here and then got here um in 2010 decent yeah i, I want to sort of jump back and then sort of jump sure. forward again on the uh on the sort of that gap that gap year that you spoke mm-hmm. about obviously over here um in terms of getting your scholarship what was the process like did you go to sort of open house trials did you because i know some people video their games and send them over what was the process for you and and how did that sort of come around that you got an offer i, I was very fortunate um <clears throat> in that my, my my contact josh um was very friendly and had a lot of contacts with a company called first um for uh, not first first point sorry um and um they happened to have a couple of um evaluation games um the evaluation games were um held in um were held in let me think where were they held in lillishaw i think was one of them there was mm. one in Hist- one in histon i think as well um there was a few um, uh, evaluation games and he managed to just piggyback me onto an evaluation game get it filmed for um, for some footage um, and, and sort of send that out to um, send that out to uh, coaches over in the states over here um, for their sort of viewing um, along with that you know Steve Downey who is a mutual contact of ours yeah. um, me and you both know well uh, my coach one of my coaches over here before I left wrote a recommendation letter which was sent out to coaches as well and obviously he's very well qualified over here with an extensive background in the youth game um sorry over in england he was very well qualified over in england with an extensive background in the youth game in england so that you know kind of helps as a recommendation he sort of gave it a, a fair evaluation of what i was like as a player um which which obviously was was good because that meant that coaches got an honest and 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 uh, and fair appraisal of what I was like and they weren't surprised by anything so um but but what I would say is there are there are certainly companies out there that you know and I think they're getting cheaper now that you could pay a couple of hundred pounds or you know anywhere up from a couple of hundred pounds to maybe thousands I'm not sure on the on the scale nowadays but you know you pay a fee um and for that they kind of handle everything they 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 invite you to games they film the games they put together a highlight package for you um and with that highlight package that then is sent out to coaches they then correspond with the coaches for you and sort of start to work out um whether you'd be a good fit for that program or not and then if they kind of think that it is then they'll pass your details along so that the coach can speak to you personally and then you can kind of go from there but you know, it's 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 uh, to give you an honest um, view on it. It's a it's a shady um, kind of very dark, murky waters situation in terms of the, the agencies that, that help you get out, uh, get over there. Um, it really is. Unfortunately, unless you do your research, um, it's tough because um, you can't really do it on your own. It's tough without having someone that's been there and done it or has the idea of what to do and who to contact and. Um, what you're going to need 
documentation wise, you know, with your, your grades from high school and college over there, um, all that kind of stuff, where to go and get the SAT exam, which is your entry exam into college. You have to have that to get into college. Where do you get it? How do you book it? All those kind of things that play in. It becomes really difficult. So if you don't have someone um, who is there to guide you and, and, and give you the, the advice and help you along the way, it can be really difficult to do it on your own. So realistically, does the um, um, does the agency kind of pay for itself in the end? Yes, a little bit. Um, and, and, and they're certainly, if you can find the right company, they're certainly worth the money um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but it, it does maybe take a little bit of research to look into how much are they offering or how much are they asking for and um, what are they asking for in return. Mm. And with with the end, you spoke about the entry exam. So mm. even though, say, you're a grade A student over here, we still yeah. have to do an exam before you can get into sort of any college or any university over there. Is that what that yeah, entry exam is? Absolutely. They they so they have they have two governing bodies for exams. They have the um, SAT uh, and the ACT, which are two different uh, sort of exams that they have for the governing bodies over here. Um, but both are accepted by almost all schools. Um, they're not really any different other than the way that they're graded uh, and the way that they're scored. Um, but yeah, every college in America asks that you do an SAT or ACT. And just to give you a bit of background, again, if I'm going to jump back a little bit to myself, I did um, a year and a half as an assistant coach after I graduated from college. Um, and did so then I sat on this side of the desk trying to recruit kids from England or from Germany um mm. from spain and you know you come across a kid and he's a great player you've watched his video maybe you speak to him and it's like okay i noticed you haven't got your you know your exam score your sat or act score in yet um when can i expect you to sit that exam oh do i have to do that and it's like unfortunately yeah like mm. every kid you know no matter what you have to do that because it's just that's just the gov the way that the the college system over here governs you and um, it's kind of just, you know, it's like an 11 plus in England, you know, you want to go and play or want to go to a grammar school in England, you've got to pass the 11 plus, you've got to pass an SET and ACT. Now the scoring is variant, so you can get a fairly low score and all that's going to do really in, in the long run is affect how much academic scholarship money you can be given. So there's athletic scholarship money and academic scholarship money. And, you know, if you have great, great grades and a great SAT score, you're going to get some academic scholarship money. It's going to mean less money you pay uh, to go to school there. Great. If you don't get that great score and you get an average score, but you have good grades, it means probably less academic scholarship money. If you don't have great grades and you have a poor score, well, now maybe you maybe you don't reach the um, qualifications to, to be allowed entry into that school. If you do, you're probably not going to get any academic scholarship money. So it's going to probably mean more money on your part. So the smart thing to do would be if you if you've got good grades is to get a good it's to study for a few weeks, get a good score on your SATs or ACTs. And it means less money that you have to either get out on a loan or ask mum and dad for however you're thinking or planning of paying off those small fees that come along with going to college. Mm. How, how did you find um, the, the sort of exams compared to the exams over here do you find it was vastly different or very similar still um yeah it was i think the sat is and which is the one i sat was incredibly incredibly different to anything i i tried in england especially at gcse level or a level um level um it was 
it, so basically to, to give you a breakdown it's it's three uh sorry it's four parts so you've got um maths and algebra um you have problem solving you have reading and writing and then you have creative writing and they're the kind of four parts of the exam um now i think if you're an okay student you'll get the problem solving and you'll uh, and for the most part you'll probably have to figure your way out around that the reading and writing is kind of basic it kind of asks you to read a passage um and then sort of give an example and then sort of it got asked questions based off of that which is pretty much what most GCSE English classes are it's not much dissimilar from what you probably would have done in your GCSE English class and then the creative writing is is completely dependent on how good of a, a writer you are so if you can you know write stories at GCSE level or, or write papers at GCSE level essays at GCSE level I'm sure you'll be fine with that as well it's not too difficult the maths is that's where yeah. I think most English people really struggle because we don't in England push algebra and we don't push the level of math and mental arithmetic that America does. You know, they, in schools over here, they, they really force it on kids. You know, you do a math class every year, um, you know, algebra and, and trigonometry and all those kind of things. That is where I would, I would if I was to give someone uh, advice, I would say spend most of your time is on that the math ma mathematics side of things and work out how they because the wording's different to what maybe yeah. we're used to in England all those kind of things are completely different so with that comes um you know uh, its own set of problems so you've got to familiarize yourself with their wording and then you've got to also study and get better at the, the maths and mental arithmetic side of things but yeah definitely different I mean it was a and, and then when I came to college here like the exams and tests that are coming in each week in your classes you're like this is nowhere you know it, it could range from you know a five page questionnaire to a one page five question um, pop quiz kind of thing that it all depends on the teacher and it's certainly something you know, we're not used to in England where you know it's kind of all year work on you know your coursework with a couple of little maybe maybe a couple of little tests thrown in here or there and then one big test at the end of the year in america it's graded over the year so you do maybe you have a maybe you have a little bit of coursework to do maybe a couple of essays or a project to do um and then maybe you have um four or five quizzes throughout the year that you, that you have to get an accumulative grade on and that adds to the end of the year grade and then maybe one final uh test at the end and so it's certainly different and a massive eye opener when you get over here and you see the the way that their education system is vastly different um, to, to what we were used to in England. Mm -hmm. Just sort of um, jumping forwards again, what what was that sort of year or two years like when you say because you had the sort of gap year over here in England mm -hmm. um, that you sort of couldn't push forwards with the unis and stuff? What was that? Like, did you know after that one or two years that you was going to move on or was it difficult in the sense that you felt a bit stuck? How, like, how was that for you? Do you, do you feel like it was something that you, there was another goal at the end or was it just like, oh, fuck. Like... <sighs> no, I mean, I was very, po I was kind of, uh, I was lucky in that I was young enough and sprightly enough that I was kind of like, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, <clears throat> I didn't really, um, I didn't really put a lot of weight on it. I just kind of moved on and stayed positive and just mm. for me at the time, as long as I could get over here um, as, uh, and, and um, the end goal was to be here 
as long as I could do that and, and start some sort of journey over here, I knew I was going to be happy. Um, so realistically, any setbacks or any things that maybe were knockbacks a little bit, I tried to just shake off and just say, you know what, the ultimate goal is to be over there. So however that mm. happens, it happens. And I hope that it happens in the right manner. Um, and so I just try to keep positive with it. And it can be, yeah, it can be a little bit like discerning, especially if you, you know, you go for a college and the guy's like, you know, you, you really like the college and then the guy offers you maybe not enough money that you need or something along those lines. Or you, like myself, you get knocked back from an eligibility point of view or so it can definitely be, you know, disconcerting. But it doesn't mean it's over. That's the biggest thing is it doesn't mean it's over. It doesn't mean that you can't you, you cannot end up being over here and enjoying your time it just means that you know some avenues are shut off from you but you know it doesn't mean that you, you can't be you know if you want to be a pro player it doesn't mean you can't go out here and come out here and make your name for yourself and become a pro or whatever it is that your is your end goal it just means that there are now um obstacles in your way and you know everyone has obstacles in their way no one ever really has an easy ride at it um and if you do then good luck to you and I really wish you the best but most people yeah. most normal people are going to have they're going to have some obstacles to get to get through and um and that's just all all expected to be as part of the process unfortunately mm. and like you say I guess it's those obstacles that are good little learning curves pushing you forward because that's only going to get tougher the higher you go up absolutely just, just sort of touch on um the transitional period um from moving in the UK playing in the UK as well um like you were speaking about semi-professionally to then you know what was the level like there the fitness just sort of touch on the transitional period and what what that was like for you sure yeah um yeah I mean a massive massive difference and people always hear that and they're like oh so like is it easier and it's like well no not so much um obviously I went through and playing men's football um uh, and against some you know fairly decent semi-professional footballers at men's level 28 29 30 year old players who have had careers in the game at some level um and some obviously some good local players as well but men's football and then you go to play university or college football over here um and you're playing against you know 21 22 year olds so people who are maybe only a couple of years older than you um some are english some are american some are spanish some are german so so many different cultures um and that's the one thing I will say about maybe England is we definitely don't have a variant of footballers. Um, you know, I think coming from a football perspective, footballer perspective, you know, your centre-halves, you know, nowadays maybe it's changing. But back then it was like your centre-halves do what they need to do, head the ball, kick the ball, goalkeepers be loud and commanding, your full-backs defend on the outside, midfielders make sure you get on get on the ball and try and play forward or, or, or break up play. Wingers get out on the outside, beat your fullback. Strikers score, hold it up. It was kind of everyone had a box cutter, cookie mm. cutter, sorry, um, kind of boxed in, pigeonholed job. There was no real difference or variance or, or, or of type of player. And then you come over here and it's complete. It's a complete melting pot. You know, there are German players who are six foot four and they're playing um, out in the wing. You've got. Spanish players who are five foot ten and they're playing as the number nine, um, you know, or, or whatever. It, there's just so many different variants and so many different types of styles and uh, of football that you've never played before, um, and it completely opened your eyes. Um, in terms of fitness, I mean, obviously, depending on where you go, I'm in the south. I'm in Georgia, so I'm right there in, you know, above Florida, and um, we get, you know, ten months out of the year, it's 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 hot and warm and humid, um, and so. 
something that you're just not used to in England, being able to um, or having to, you know, um, deal with that. And, and the pace of the game will change. You know, there'll be there'll be moments where the pace of the game will be quick, and then there'll be moments where the pace of the game will be slow, and you'll just be kind of um, be more possession based, keeping the ball, um, switching the you know switching the point of attack, trying to play from one side to the other, trying to find holes um, because the other team won't come and press you. They'll just sit in and try and hold because. You know, it's too hot. They're not going to. They're not going to press for the whole game. They're going to find moments to press. Um, so from that aspect, I mean, completely different. Completely different. You know, um, you know, I came home for as you know, I came home for about nine months, um, a couple of years ago to um, to sort of get um, some more coaching experience back home and to do some more qualifications back home. And um, in that time, I played whilst I was back home just to, just to, for a few clubs just to try and keep keep my foot in the door and play a little bit and the thing I noticed was when I went back home is you know obviously and I'm sure this will be no surprise to people that how direct the game is back home especially mm. at non-league level because results matter and I get that um and but also just the level of um or the lack of level of information from from coaches on style of play there was no real style of play that you know and I'm not blaming I had some great coaches whilst I played back home really good coaches who you know technically and tactically I'm sure they were and I know that they were were great uh, being a good coach and, and man management etc was fantastic but the difference was just what I was what was absent was okay no there was no pattern play there was no when we get the ball here this is a situation where we want to do this when we're in this situation, this is what we want to do. This is the type of defending we want to try and do. This is the type of, you know, we want to be a low block or we want to defend these certain areas. And I want my wingers to start showing the fullbacks inside and stop the ball up the line. Anything like that. That was just never really said. Um, and so I think a lot of the teams become much of the same. And much mm. of the much. You know, a lot why, of teams... why do you think that is, though? That's a really good question. <laughs> that is a really good question. Culturally, massive. I think that has a massive um uh impact mm. you know i think <sighs> massive thing about england is is the, is the football culture you know um and i think i think there are people in place at clubs and at leagues who maybe are tunnel visioned about football and they don't necessarily realize that there is more to see outside of the british isles in terms of football and i don't think they understand that hey we could we could really do something if we played a certain way or we could really do something if we employed a certain um type of type of um infrastructure um but then they also don't have the funds i mean you know you wouldn't expect a haybridge swifts chairman or a molden and tiptree chairman or, or whoever a local any local club in england you would expect them to maybe out of their own pocket fly over to spain and see how a spanish third or fourth division club puts together their infrastructure and maybe get some ideas you wouldn't expect them to do that it's doable but you probably wouldn't expect them to do that if they did or they went to germany or they went to spain or they went to you know if they came over here and saw how third or fourth division clubs over here did it and and got to see okay they do this that's a really good idea and and things like that then maybe there would be more there would be more um you know possession-based game there would be some more subtle nuances to the game um, that maybe we don't have in the English game. Um, and like I said, I think it's very, the non-league game is very, at least from my experience, is very smash and grab. And can we get the result by any means possible? And if you, if we don't get it, it's the player's fault. 
And if we do win, then I'm the best manager in the world and the players are incredible and everything's great and etc. Um, um, you know, it's, di- uh, it's difficult because I like 100% agree with what you're saying, and I, f- I think it's it's strange because you you speak about obviously like the setup or the culture of clubs and stuff like that, but I think it ultimately is down to do with like the managers or uh, managers and coaching assistants that they're around, and also the players as well. Because you're speaking about oh, from your side, the coaches obviously tactically employing a, a way or a style of play that they want your team. To- to, to be able to adapt or adjust to was I think here in non-league from me specifically in the Ryman North this year there hasn't been that many managers that have been sacked so like the sort of you know like the excuse oh we've, we've got to get results so we're going to get sacked I don't know if it's a case of either managers just being I wouldn't say too scared scared's a bit of a harsh word but mm. um, almost just right we've got these types of players in let me just play them and just see what they can do or is it a case of because of the players that are there even if they have got some big time charlies in the managers that are actually there are, again i don't use the word scared but a bit hesitant to go in and sort of almost coach them and say look this mm. is what we sort of want to employ and we want to play like whereas for me this year i'm really lucky at Sudbury, we're playing like six seven academy boys and we're mm-hmm. just passing for fun and that's all throughout the academy the way that they play in the academy uh, like we had a game a couple of weeks ago against Molden Chitri. We lost like 5-1, but our whole structure was right. The manager put up on the board. We're going to be playing all the short corners that the academy do. And right. we had all the academy boys telling us what to do. Like all the older players, this is what you do on a short corner. Like we never rehearsed anything. They were just telling right. us what to do on, on the game day. And I just yeah. think sometimes you have managers where I don't know if it's a case of they're getting the players in. And these players have been around the block and it's almost like the ego's taken over. So they're like, right, I don't want to get in. I don't want to feel like I can coach them. I don't know. I just think because obviously you guys, stateside, I don't know. There seems that emphasis on, right, we want to play this way. We've got different types of players, different characters in. We need to get in and, and sort of cement the style of play. I think I think it can be done in long league. I just think you've got sure. to go in and, and just sort of the players that you get in have got to accept it. I think there's a balance between both. I don't know. Massively. I 100% agree with you. And I think that was one of the things I, I was remember or I was reminded of when I played back home for that short period of time a couple of years ago was, you know, the coach could come in with all these the correct ideas that me and you just just spoke about about being able to play and short corners and and tactically we're going to defend this way and tactically on the ball we're going to look like this but ultimately if the players don't want to buy in if the players just want to show up take their 60 70 80 100 150 200 quid take it go home um to their to their wife to their kid whatever or, or go out on on the lash on the on the town after the game if they just want to do that you can't then implement it you you can't get that to, to work um, and so ultimately and like you said you with with um with Sudbury that you know you bring in the young players and they're now telling the older players that's great and that is um that is ultimately what you should we should be looking for not necessarily the younger players telling the older players but we should have that level of understanding that that we're all a team here I'm not just because I've played at five six years with so and so and done this and done that doesn't mean that ultimately you can't be my teammate because we're wearing the same jersey today we're all we're here for the same goal both of us want to win this game both of us want what's best for this team so why can't we do the same goal why do why can't we try things together um but ultimately I I think like, like I said I think it's a cultural thing but yeah you're right 
I think maybe the manager needs to, or, or the managers need to have a little bit of empowerment and, and, and a little bit of foresight and go, is this guy a cancer to my changing room? Or are these, is this group a cancer to my changing room? Am I trying to do this? And are these guys really helping me? Yeah, I know they're great players and they've had great, they've had great um, careers in the game and et cetera. And they're on big money or whatever, whatever it is. And, or the, the fans love them or whatever. They've been here for seven years, whatever, whatever the, the excuses might be. But um, you know, I'm reading a great book right now. Um, it's uh, Mauricio Pochettino's sort of biography, um, and in it, he notes he noted a diary. Um, it's kind of um, it's kind of a, a lot a big diary of, of of things, and he explains his career in football. And one of the first things he did when he took over as manager of Espanyol was they had um, um, they had a player there. I think I can't think of the guy's name, Raúl something. I can't think of the guy's name surname. But he was captain, club captain, had been there for 10 years of his career, was, you know, the ultimate Espanol, Mr. Espanol. But the first thing that Pochettino recognised as soon as he walked in the door was this guy's a cancer because he's not doing things the right way anymore. He's taking shortcuts in his career because he thinks he's done it. He? He's, yeah, he, he, yeah, he thinks he's done it all. And so the first thing he did was sat him on the bench and played, played an under 18 or a, a youth player instead. And the result, funnily enough, over time, the results started to come. Um, you know, I think he, he mentions in a game where this young guy, this young kid who now, I think now still plays for Espanyol or maybe plays for Valencia. I cannot remember the name. I have to go back and read it. Um, he scored two goals against um, Barcelona, which is obviously their big, their massive rival um, for Espanyol. Um, and they won 2-1. And that was Pochettino's you know, shining moment as Espanyol manager. And they did it with their, their club captain sat on the bench. Um, and I think, you know, I'm sure we would all remember that uh, when Pochettino came into Tottenham, he started changing things. You're gone, you know, um, Adel Tarrat, you're gone, Adebayor, you're gone. Yeah. Um, you know, all, all these players that maybe were considered, um, you know, cancerous into the in, in the in the team, gone. Not You're not part of this club anymore. I'm going in this direction. And if you want to be a part of it, um, great. Uh, but you've got to buy into this certain standard. And so I think maybe maybe the managers need to empower themselves a little bit to go back to the original point, um, mm. empower themselves a little bit in non-league and say, listen, well, I don't have to, I don't have to take crap from, from, from um, Jimmy over here because he's played at the game. He's played the game for a couple of years and is earning big money. I, you know, it, that's great. And I'm sure he'll have a great career somewhere else, but if this is my project, this is the way I want to do it. Um, and I don't want, you know, that guy to tell me, um, what I should and shouldn't be doing or telling the rest of the players we sh- they shouldn't be listening to me. Yeah, for sure. What um, what could you take fr- or what did you take from non-league um, into the university game which you found did work or that was something that you was like, actually, this has given me a sort of a, a head up on other people. Was there anything that you was like, you've taken that from non-league into universities? Um, I mean, it's difficult because... You'd find, you'll find that you come over here, especially nowadays, um, and I was probably the start of the boom uh, over here. Um, you know, a lot of the teams we play against have maybe four or five English guys in their side and were, you know, pretty much the same kind of people as me. If not, you know, if they're not from Essex or Kent or, you know, Yorkshire or, or Manchester, they're all doing the same thing as me. They're all, you know, probably decent players in their own right, um, you know, released from either academies or, or decent um, or, or were decent non-league players for a year or two as a young kid, um, and um, you know same background. So it's much of the muchness. 
Um, you know, same type of players, really, with different, you know, obviously different variants. But, um, you know, they've all played at the same sort of level and had the same sort of upbringing as myself. So, you know, there wasn't I wasn't that unique. But if I was to go personally, I think the biggest thing that I brought, I think my coaches from from that time would agree that the biggest thing I've always had not a problem with is being a communicator on the field and an organiser. And I think that played a massive part of me for me that I was never afraid to open my mouth on a football pitch and be either the loudest player on the pitch or the most talkative player on the pitch. And, um, and I think what developed over here was um, my, with my first coach was he was very, very happy for me to, to be a communicator and an organizer on the field and really, really be the, the main focal point, but get rid of the nonsense, you know? So when it's a goal kick, you know, do we do I really need to say turn around, face the ball, come on, everyone, back in, blah blah blah, whatever it was I had, I had developed from playing non-league, yeah, um, that were maybe just habits of just non-league that no one really knew why they were there. Um, they were just people would just say them, people would just use. Um, I think nowadays they're called like non-league shouts, um, and they've become a bit of a like a a bit of a viral thing. But but just things like that were they really necessary? Could we instead use that voice to be? a little bit more organisational and a bit more specific with the information rather than just general, come on lads, it's more of a more of a general information. Can a turn and face, can we keep him outside? Are we set here? You know, what's my left back doing kind of thing? And, um, um, you know, should we set our line here? Are we good? Everyone all right? Those kind of things. Just just, just a bit more specific with my information. Um, um, and, and also I think my, um, my first year at Chattanooga, um, which is a semi-professional club over here. Now they're professional, um, but they were when I first started playing for them. They were semi-professional. Um, was I, you know loved the fact that I was talking a lot during games, um, and we played with a an out-and-out number six, an out-and-out defensive midfielder um, who now plays in the French third division, Thibaut Charme, <clears throat> um, after spending some time in English non-league as well, actually. Um, but he was a phenomenal defender in terms of being able to break up play. And um, Bill Elliott, my coach at the time, um, called me aside and just said, listen, we love the fact that you talk as a coaching staff, but what we really want is to stop passes into the striker and stop balls into the striker um, and into that second space in front of you. So why don't you just keep talking to Tebow, your defensive midfielder, and shift him right and left? Every all, all parts of the game and just help it, get him to help you. Tell him when the ball, tell him when the, the striker's coming to his right. Tell him when the striker's coming to his left. Tell him when the ball's going on his left. Tell him when the ball's going on his right, etc. Just control him. Um, and that opened my eyes massively because I think I changed from just a general talker to now, now I know the nuances of organising. Now I'm not just talking for the sake of talking. Now I'm organising. Now I'm helping us win the ball back and things like that. So I, I think communication was the biggest thing. And I'm sure, you know, you've played with guys who, the loudest players on the pitch and they talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. But how much, if you went away from a game and reflected and evaluated and did a self-evaluation um, as I've started to do as a coach and as a player, how much of my information was I just talking for the sake of talking? How much of it was, come on in lads, back in, let's win the first one, eh? Second balls here, second balls, those kind of things. Was it just general chit-chat or was I actually making us a better team and was I actually giving specifics information? So, for me, that was the biggest thing was turning from just a uh, a talker into actually an organiser and someone who was being maybe a leader and a coach on the field. Mm. And that's that's such a great point that you raised. It almost goes back to 
your coach identifying what you're good at, but also tweaking it ever so slightly. And like you said now, you're almost organizing that player in front of you and giving in the specific detail just by your coach changing that one aspect of your game. I think that's that's so crucial for a coach to recognize that in players and just give them that little detail and sort of let them figure it out and then let them adjust, make those little adjustments to their own game, which are, are coming on as opposed to just creating habits either as an individual or as a team. Yeah, just squeeze it up or just hook the ball. Like you're saying, if you was to go away from a game and say, right, as a centre midfielder, what have I actually taken away personally or from anyone else in terms of information? Probably not a lot. Mm. But you've got someone like you telling you when you've got uh, maybe a number 10 behind me, you're telling me to check my left shoulder or maybe drop off two yards or number 10's coming in front of you. Then then all of a sudden I'm a bit more aware and no doubt you've probably played a good part in that player progressing because that's heightened his awareness of going, okay, Ad's talking to me now. I need to check my shoulder. I need to be alert. I need to stay on my toes or I need to shift left, shift right. I can intercept the ball. That is obviously heightened his awareness and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really suggesting made him a better player from that. Uh, Maybe so, but uh, um, he was a fantastic player in his own right. But for myself, that, that made me... I think that made me a better coach because, as well as a player, maybe a player, but definitely made me a better coach because it um, it just opened my eyes to what was it, it made me self evaluate what, what I was doing. Um, a lot of what I was doing was just because I just you know I just it just became a habit. Just things you know playing with non league players and and, and pro or, or or ex pros from the 90s back home or whatever it may have been some some players that I have played with before it just became a habit I heard him do it and he's playing and he's doing okay so I'm going to do it and you just get into a, a a habit but realistically I think every player becomes is an individual so do we just and it comes back to what I said about cookie cutter players in non league and in, and in England do you just want to be one of the production line do you just want to be the next Adam Reeks or the next Reese Harris because that's what they've done. So do you want to be that person? Mm. And I think I, I played with um, a guy who's now a, a coach in um, in uh, Miami or South Florida. It's a German guy, and I, I got the, the fortune of meeting up with him again um, a couple of years, a couple of months ago at a convention, uh, coaching convention over here, and we chatted, and he was he was saying about. Um, um, he was saying about individuality, player individuality, and um, being able to assess not just, hey, this is what you have to be. You have to be like this. If you want to be like this, you've got to be like him or you've got to be like him. Well, he's not like that person. Everyone is individual. Everyone is different. So why don't we find out what motivates this guy? Why don't we find out what, what makes this player as good as he is? What can we make him better at, you know, to be to, to make him the ultimate player? <clears throat> but let's, spe- let's specify for him. Let's not just say, you've got to do this. If you're a centre-back, you've got to chat. If you're a centre-back, you've got to be good in the air. Or if you, blah, 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 blah. Why, why do we have to generalise? Why can't we make it a little bit more specific for that player? Um, and uh, it op- again, it opened my eyes and made me think about those types of things where do we have to tell, I like my centre-backs to do this. I like my centre-midfielders to do this. I like my wingers to do this. Or can we actually say, you know what, I really want... Um, to make this player a good player. Well, I need to figure out what he wants. What does he want as a player? If he wants this and this, okay, let's give it to him. Let's, let's help him with that. Um, what's he good at? Oh, he's good at that. Well, can we develop that to make that more specific for him? If he's a good, if he's good on his left foot, but not so good on his right foot, can we maybe make sure that, you know, we don't put him in too many situations where 
um, where he's forced onto his right foot? Or do we do, do, do we do the opposite? Does he relish a challenge? Do we put him on his right foot all the time and tell him to use his right foot all the time? So, you know, it just comes down to a bit of, a bit of thought um, going into it and, and really um, just, just doing more than turning up on a Tuesday, Thursday to do a session or whatever it may be to do a session, run the session. That was a great session. Everyone had fun. Everyone scored loads of goals and I'm done. And then turn up on a Saturday and go, right, I hope we win today. We're going to play 4-2-3-1. Four, four, I really hope we win today. Oh, we didn't. Well, the boys are rubbish. Oh, we did. The boys are excellent. They're having a bit more thought behind that and going, okay, that session, did it go well? Uh, well, it went okay. Um, I could have done this better. Could have done that better. He didn't play very well. He was kind of out of it a little bit today. I wonder why that is. Maybe I should talk to him on Thursday and find out why he looked a little bit down. Or maybe I should phone him tonight or tomorrow and find out why it's a little bit down. Goalkeepers looked good. Distribution was good from them, yeah. But just a little bit more of just a little uh, of getting in the car and switching off or uh, and going, yes, that was good. No, that wasn't good. Or yes, we won. Or oh no, we lost. Just a little bit more foresight behind it and thinking more on an individual level, you know, uh, and thinking what could I do for that? What, what as a coach thinking what could I do for that player rather than what that player should do for me and for the team. Just a little bit of give and take. I think it changes the the the, um, the culture and it changes the, the the outcome of the team fantastically. And I think no more so can we, you know, I'd love to be able to see be a fly on the wall in the England camp, but no more so can we see the 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 results of that than if you watch our current England national team and see the type of performances they put in and, and the type of manager that I think Gareth Southgate. Um, it is to those players, you know, he's he's moulded and developed that that culture that it is a a nurturing, um, a nurturing development based squad with obviously the the um, the results being of some importance and uh, and I think hopefully that now tri- my my hope is that trickles down um, and people start to see that in the Championship, League One, League Two, Conference, etc. And now maybe our non-league culture changes slightly. Um, that would be my hope anyway. Mm. I'd almost go as far as to say that all he's really doing and sort of with Pep Guardiola with certain individuals is just investing in them, understanding, right. like you said, what the individual needs, what they require, how they can sort of just use a specific element to make them better and, and almost give that to them halfway. And then the play, player's got to find the other half. And all of a sudden, like with Sterling and Pep, Pep seems to have, for whatever reason, or him and his coaching staff have tweaked little things and maybe got in his ear a little bit and gone, look, you could be a brilliant player. Try doing this or trying to, and, and almost giving him that edge of him figuring out, right, I've just got to try and do this or let me try and do this, see if it helps my game one. And it has. And I think Southgate's similar in that aspect. He sort of goes away. He doesn't just stick to football modes. He goes away looking at the rugby side of things and the psychology and, you know, maybe picking out we don't know behind the scenes, but you've obviously got people like Danny Rose and other players that are coming in through the squad and maybe picking them out and, you know, speaking to them individually and, and you're seeing the rewards as a collective because I think right. ultimately if you can invest in players um, as a coach, players are going to get, you know, give you more in terms of on the on the field and other players will buy into that and there won't be so much of a, you know, a cancerous gene within the squad because people will be like, hang on a minute, no, nah, I've got respect for my coach, I want to do this, I want to put the work in mm. and other people will sort of follow suit. Just sort of going into... Um, into the um, the living situation in terms of like your campus and everything like that. What what um, what was that like when you first when you first moved over? How did you find that in terms of that with coupled with the studying and um, and figuring out 
obviously the the football side of things as well how, how is that sort of molded i i loved it because i'm quite a, I, i'm not a person that was a kind of a homebody um you know wherever i laid my hat was kind of my home i I loved my house and I loved my parents and my family, et cetera, my friends from back home. But um, I was fairly individual and fairly adventurous, so it didn't didn't affect me or, or, or anything that much. So as soon as I got over there, it was great and I loved it from, you know, having that individual aspect of being on my own and having my own um, sort of rules and stuff like that. It was great. I loved it, um, especially at that age, at sort of 19, 18, 19, and being able to to go over there and be like, okay, this is my, this is my dorm room, you know, it's, you know, um, and you, no one's there to, no one's there to sort of, um, no one's there to sort of uh, live with you as a parent or, or tell you what to do or ask you to do things or help you with them. You just kind of have to figure it out on your own. And, and I love that because it was a way of me growing up. And I've always said to a lot of people that coming over here made me a man it forced me to be a man quickly and forced me to grow up quickly. Um, and that's probably the, one of the biggest aspects was living on my own in a, in, you know, it, it, you know, figuring out how to do simple things. like figuring out how to do my own laundry, which I, which sounds terrible. And, and I'm they're, sure I'm they're sure different over there, aren't they? Like, what, what was your washing machine? Cause I remember living in New York for six months and we had like a circle top washing machine yeah. um, and you had to like lift it up. And then there was like two different compartments for like, the liquid and detergent oh, oh, like yeah. my head went i was like what the, this is completely different to back oh, home yeah. simple things yeah absolutely simple things like that my, mine was the same um you know we had we had industrial an industrial laundry room in each dorm block um and yeah completely different and uh um but but that was more that was more of what i enjoyed though i liked it being different because mm-hmm. it was just an adventure it was an experience um and, but I loved it. I, I, I loved the fact that you go, you know, so for our, our college, you get, um, you, you have an Eagle card, which was your, basically your student ID. But on that Eagle card, you had four meals a day. Um, and so you go to the cafeteria, you go and get breakfast, you, you know, um, you know, I, I loved that. I, I, the whole idea of that was great to me. Um, I think living with other people in your freshman dorms, especially where, where I, well, essentially where I went to college, the freshman dorms were shared bathrooms. So everyone had their own dorm, but there was a big bathroom block in the middle with about 20 showers in it, um, nine or 10 bath, uh, nine or 10 toilets, uh, urinals, etc. Et um, which you only have to live in them for your freshman year. But it's, um, that was kind of, that was kind of eye opening, uh, I would say. Um, I don't have a problem with it because, you know, like yourself, I grew up in in non-league changing rooms. So showering around other people was never really an issue for me. I haven't I'm not really that body conscious or anything like that. It doesn't really affect me. The Americans are a lot more um, closed off with like being naked or being exposed to in front of other people, especially other men, because I think especially where I am in the South, there is maybe that that cadence of homosexuality and and homo uh, homophobia. Um, yeah. and like anything like that is considered um kind of faux pas and, and taboo whereas you know again the english culture is we find it funny you know we, we will we'll we'll pretend to be a certain way or we will be you know if we're naked in front of each other it, you know that that changing room culture um which i think again again is phasing out in england but that changing room culture from back when i was a uh, a younger player was 
you know, he didn't really care. You know, it, it was all laughs and jokes. So who cares at the end of the day? Um, um, so I didn't really, that didn't really affect me. I, I got over it. But um, yeah, I think the whole, the whole aspect and then training in the afternoons or in the mornings, depending on which day it was, was great. Um, I think maybe the most difficult bit is just balancing it all, being able to balance out, okay, I've got to work. Um, do my do my studies, go to class, get up in the morning, go to class, do my studies. I've got to go to train. Um, I've got to go to training. I've got to eat. Um, then I've got to get back. I've got to do my homework or my my required reading for tomorrow's class or for next week's class or whatever it may be, uh, and make sure all of that gets done. And oh, by the way, you've also got to go out of town and travel seven, eight, nine hours. So you might have to leave on on Friday morning. So you're not now you're missing class on Friday. So now you've got to get someone to get you the notes for that class, and you've got to do the homework for that class, and all those kind of things. I think just there's just the the work life the work um, play balance. Um, is probably maybe the toughest bit, um, but I loved it. I do know, however, and I and I think what opened my eyes to it was being a coach for a year and a half, um, assistant coach for a year and a half for the college. What opened my eyes to it was that certain players maybe don't um, don't adjust as well, and maybe they are more homebodies, and maybe they had they were very close with their mum or their mum and dad, and their mum and dad did a lot of things for them in their life, and um, you know they they struggled intensively with you know they struggled a lot with with living with other people because maybe they were an only child and didn't have to ever live with anyone else they struggled a lot with having to sort of feed themselves and get themselves to to the to the cafeteria and didn't they, maybe they struggled with the the change of diet because they were used to they were used to chips and or and and chicken nuggets from back home or they were used to shepherd's pie or they were used to whatever it might have been or they might have been used to jamaican food or spanish food roast or, dinner and stuff like right, that roast dinners and stuff like that and now your now your now your diet's changed um and especially considering if you're an athlete you know uh, you're a full full-time athlete because you're training every day and playing every weekend now your diet's got to change and the coaches are on you and they're they're giving you um or they're in the they're in the cafeteria making sure you're not eating three slices of pizza um, from the cafeteria. They're making sure you're eating the pastas or the salads or um, or the 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 fish or whatever it might be that 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 is there on offer for that day. And making sure that you're getting the required nutrients for for an athlete and and not just shoveling those things. And that can also be disconcerting to them because they may when they played at Portsmouth Academy or where they played at you know Rotherham Academy they didn't have that kind of level of investment from their coach their coach did not uh, say hey don't eat that you know they, they were allowed to eat whatever they wanted and now all of a sudden they're being asked to take care of their diet and that can be disconcerting so I know that some people really do have a bad uh, or a tough adjustment to it um, uh, and that can and I understand that that's that's not not news to me um, but um, my advice to people would be go in with an open mind you know you, you're, you're young um, and you can always, um, you know, when you get out of college, you can always go back to the, the things, the way things were, if you really want to. But go in with an open mind and 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 don't don't shut people out or don't shut um, certain ideas out just because you haven't done them before um, or certain ways of life out because you haven't done them before. Because I think you're closing yourself off to a lot of really, um, I was going to say really cool experiences, but that sounds really weird. Really good experiences. <laughs> really life-changing and life-expanding experiences that will make you a better person. Um, so don't, you know, open mind, going in with everything with an open mind would be my my advice to anyone who, who kind of finds himself in a, a living situation in an American college. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, um, you spoke about you being very um, individual. Um, has there been, for the move of you over there, has there been any sort of differences in relationships over here? Um, and and how, do, how have you found that, if so? Um, I mean, yeah, you know, I have a, I have a good core of, of friends, most of whom you're, 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 you're aware of Russell, mm. um, Michael Cheeks, um, and my buddy Corin Ridgewell as well. Um, you know, we have, a, they're probably my, my three longest serving friends from childhood, um, and from school and stuff that, that we keep in contact, you know, most weeks and stuff. But I think the the old saying goes is you don't ever lose friends because if they're true friends, they'll, you know, if they're true friends or, or they're special to you or, or best friends, then you'll find ways to communicate. And that definitely changed relationships. And maybe we weren't as, we weren't as close as we are or, or could have been now, or we were, maybe I lost out on experiences with them. Um, but ultimately, you know, I was still at their weddings. Um, you know, I was, they're still going to be at mine. Um, I'm, I, you know, we still keep up with each other. We still, you know, to, to not sound sober, we still love each other as as, as friends, as pals. Mm. Um, it just means that I'm not there every day, um, and it's, you know, it, it's it's difficult, but it's certainly not it's certainly not the end of the world because I make friends over here that, that are now just as special to me, and um, and I have my own little friend world over here, especially considering that I'm in the city like Atlanta. There is, I have a friend group of about eight or nine uh, lads that are all English um, and they've all kind of done the same, had the same experience either playing in college or have come over here to coach and, um, you know, we're all in the footballing world as well. So we, you know, it kind of helps. So you, you kind of make your own little additional friend group, but um, it definitely changes things. Uh, and a lot of people say to me over here, like, Oh, don't you miss home? And I'm like, I miss the people um, a little bit. I miss the people but I don't necessarily miss the place um, too much. Um, and if, if, if I had my way, if I was, if I was to win the lottery tomorrow, I would move them all over here in a heartbeat. I would, you know, pay for it. And they, you know, they could all live, live close to me, but I'm certainly not going to move back there to, 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 to rekindle that relationship and make it closer. Um, I think I'm just, I think we're, they're happy with me being happy over here and I'm happy to keep, them as friends lifelong friends and and obviously same with family members obviously um but just doing it at a distance and i'm very fortunate that i've done it in this generation where technology allows me to yeah. to skype you and and facetime them and text them and whatsapp and all that kind of things that you know it, it almost feels like you never miss a beat because you can update each other every single day so Mm, for sure and also like you spoke about it's about creating their memories isn't it you, it's yeah. something that you need to do for yourself um individually and as long as you're keeping in contact with people like you need to make memories for yourself it's no point you worrying about you know one of your mates and oh, my relationship's bad I, I need to move back home you need to make sure you're creating those memories for yourself yeah. which is key um just sort of I know, obviously, you spoke about earlier in terms of the journey for matches. What was that like as well? Um, because over here, for us, sort of non-league, I guess, if you're in a, a local level, you're probably only going, what, an hour, hour and a half for mm-hmm. most most games. What what were the journey times and what was um, sort of, yeah, the toll on the body after the games and before? Um, yeah, it was, 
that was an eye opener, I think, um, when we had our first away game. And uh, I remember, I vividly remember speaking to one of the older English guys that was in our team. And uh, I said, Who are we playing this weekend? Oh, it's so and so. And I said, Okay, um, we're away, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how long was the bus journey? I think it's like six and a half hours. I was like, Excuse me, six and a half hours? Um, yeah, it's eye opening. Um, but Honestly, that's where some of the, from from a team perspective, that's where some of the best memories are made on those journeys, um, and, and some of the stories and stuff. It, it's fantastic. Um, sorry, I sorry, sorry. Um, it, 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 honestly, the best times I've ever had were on those buses, and some of the best conversations I've ever had were on those buses. It was, it was, a, it was a good time. Um, but yeah, it does take a toll on the body. Um, you know, it, usually. Um, most most coaches will, if you're over a couple of hours, maybe three or four hours, you're probably going to be staying in a hotel. So you're going to probably, probably probably be going up the day before to, to shake those cobwebs off, you know, to get rid of that, that journey off your legs. Um, on the flip side of that, though, most of the time you're coming home straight after the game. So if it's a three o'clock kickoff on the Saturday or a seven o'clock kickoff on the Wednesday or, or the Friday or whatever, you're coming straight home. So you're probably sleeping on the bus. Um now, most of the time, with those longer journeys, you're getting a charter bus. So they are, you know, so comfortable and it's a huge bus. And there's only, you know, usually with away games, you're only taking 18 to 19 players. So you've got a huge bus that's set for 40 people and there's 19 plus coaching staff. So 25 people on it. So it's only half full. So lots of room um, to, to, to stretch out and, and laze out and, and, and sleep and and stuff um but yeah it's it's not it's not easy it's not easy at all i was very fortunate with chattanooga when i played there that they're very well funded and they're a fantastic club um and we had a couple of cup games that um in the us open cup which is a lot like the english fa cup that took us to tulsa oklahoma um and that was about that was considered a 12-hour drive and so they were working out the costs of um, bus versus plane and all that kind of st- and flying us over there and essentially what they decided to do was we were going to go up two days before the game so we left on a Thursday um, and we took <laughs> quite it was a really cool experience we took what's known as a like a tour bus or a sleeper bus and so it had um, like little hubs of beds um, on each side it had a sofa and a living area at the back Um, you know had these little cots to sleep in so everyone had a bed so there was you know a squad of um, I think we took 17 to that game so a squad of 17 players Um, and then the coaching staff only one coach was on the bus (laughs) the board decided to fly um, the coaching staff and backroom staff fly them there um, but but drive us there because of costs and stuff. But I mean that was phenomenal. You know we 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 left in the morning and we put I think the Champions League final was on that that day or or the day before. So I think we had it on repeat on the TV and the thing. So everyone watched it. Um, and then you know we all retired to our cots, had like a mid afternoon nap. Then we stopped and had lunch. It was an unbelievable day. And after the game we won on penalties. We got straight on the bus and slept. Everyone slept and we woke up and we were home and it was seven o'clock in the morning the next day. Um, and it was incredible because everyone just slept the entire time. Um, so, you know, some of those experiences, you're like, you'll never, you'll never. Um, you're not going to get them over here. Yeah, it's, just, it's sure. not going to happen. I mean, that was something 
you know, I'd never, I've never been on a tour bus before or a sleeper bus, whatever you want to call them before until that point. And I never would have done if I wouldn't have, if I wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to come over here and took a, taken that opportunity and, um, and played where I did. And it was, it was awesome. I mean, honestly, one of the best, best experience. I'll always tell people about that. Like, Oh, the sleeper bus. Yeah, it was fantastic. And we all slept on in cots and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, memory, like you said earlier, memories made and, and it's special, but to go back to your original point, yeah, it's tough on the body, tough, not easy. Foam rollers, lots of water, lots of hydration, rub downs from the physios, essential, essential. Um, but you, you've got to make it work. Unfortunately, this is a huge, this is a huge country, and you don't quite kind of, you know, you don't quite understand the the size of it until you get here. Um, mm. And not everything's on the doorstep. You know, states are quite vast, especially the state of Georgia. Once you get sort of 45 minutes outside of the uh, of the Atlanta area, you're, you're kind of looking at people living in the middle of nowhere. So that means that colleges aren't going to be scattered around everywhere. Mm. So you're going to be finding yourself going three or four states away to play teams of the equivalent level. That's just the way it was. And um, but like I said, I wouldn't change it for anything. That was they were a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Mm. What was what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've had since moving over um, and playing your trade in the college? Oh, that's a good one. I humbled myself. And that, that almost in itself sounds not humble. But um, I think before I came over here, I always said there was the Adam before um, graduating from college. And there was the Adam um, after, um, which I think is more of what I am now. And I don't think they're completely different people. But I think I learned so many things along my journey um that i just learned that this isn't all about me um you know uh, there's plenty there's other people to help in this world and there's plenty of other people that need more things than i do um you know i'm not going to cry or, or get upset because i can't or i want the latest pair of boots shoes jeans jacket hat whatever it may be fashion item when there are people who I've literally come across in playing and coaching who couldn't even afford to put, um, you know, shoes on their feet and would happily wear second hand, third hand cleats or boots because they just can't afford anything. Um, and that's something when I went home um, a couple of years ago to play back home and to coach back home, as one of the things I was reminding myself of constantly because it's easy i think in england to fall into the trap of materialism mm, and maybe, maybe a little bit of self selfishness um and that's something i think i tried to i tried to remove myself from as best as i could and at the expense i think i you know i think a lot of teammates looked at me differently or a lot of people i played with or, or worked with back home maybe looked at me differently um but uh, you know ultimately for me it, this was a journey and, and i'm not gonna um I'm not going to uh, get caught up over small things in my life um, and chasing the dollar or chasing the next thing in life when realistically the biggest thing for me was um, coming over here was there's so much to do in this world, so much to do in, in our lifetimes that, um, that, that booze in and, and buying stuff and acting like you're a baller and stuff. That, that is fantastic. And if you, that, that's what your life is, what, what you want. Um, good for you and I really hope that you find happiness in that but I would I think that's sad 
and I think that, that that you see that way. And I think that that there are so many more things in life that you can you can find joy in um, uh, and, and and experience. So um, um, yeah, I think just just bringing myself back down to earth um, because like every 18 year old in England right now that wants to be um, wants to be Raheem Sterling or wants to be Harry Kane or wants to be John Stones but only from one aspect probably only wants the attention and the money I was just like that in a certain way I was just I just you know I was I was almost exactly the same um, um, but then I think as I grew up over here a little bit and became a, an adult I changed that viewpoint massively and I realized that to be a footballer it isn't about what you get as a result of it, it's what you do on the field and your character and your performances and your, your leadership and all those kind of things that go along with it. Those materialistic things come as a byproduct of that. So to chase those things through football or to chase those things through your life, to chase the money, to chase the materialistic things. And if the rest of it leading up to that is just, is just a, it's just a stepping stone. It's not a journey and it's not that, that, that journey itself to get to that isn't the most important bit then that is quite sad because unfortunately when your time comes and 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 you you no longer you're no longer on this earth you can't take any of those things with you um and people will only ever see you for having those really nice shoes or for having all that money um so yeah i think ultimately i i, I changed my output my outlook on life a lot from coming over here and maybe re- remove myself from the little bubble that we have in the uk um of of what we really see is important and i I watch um news or i I look at social media and i see the amount of people that that watch you know these materialistic shows and 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 i'm sure they're entertaining you know the the made in chelsea's and the the only way is essex and all these things i'm sure they're entertaining don't get me wrong um and i'm sure they're great to watch I'm, i'm sure people love them and love watching them but the message that maybe we're given across in those kind of shows um are they really what we want to mould and shape our society to be? And my answer, if it was me looking at it, would be no. But maybe some people would disagree with me. Ah, very well put, mate. And you can hear in the way that you speak as well and, and talking about your experiences there that, that that has been something that has clearly grounded you and clearly humbled you. And when you're speaking, you're not speaking about the things that you bought over there. You're speaking about all the experiences you had. So... That's refreshing to hear, mate, because some people, um, unfortunately, like you speak about, want to chase the money, want to chase the, you know, the car or um, the new house that they can buy. So that's that's very refreshing to hear. Um, for someone who's listening, who, who obviously wants to go over, who's someone who's 17, 18, um, or even someone who's maybe in the last years of school thinking about looking looking into um go over to the states what sort of single bit of advice would you give i know you sort of said some at the start in terms of like the document documentation stuff but what would be your sort of single piece of advice for someone who's thinking about coming over first and foremost i think i would say do it and do whatever you can to make it happen um because it is life-changing it really is um so that would be what I'd say is definitely do it. And then the other single piece of advice would be, uh, I think what I said earlier, going with an open mind. Um, don't, do not come over to 5,000 miles, three and a half thousand, five thousand miles across the world 
and expect things to be the same as they were where you just were. And I've seen that so many times where, you know, a lad from the estates in Birmingham or a lad from uh, or a lad from, you know, the, the nice past, a nice part of London or a nice part of Manchester comes over here and they're like, why isn't everyone wearing the same thing I, I'm wearing? Why isn't everyone wearing Nike tracksuits with with high top Nikes? Why isn't everyone wearing Nike Air Maxes and skinny jeans? Why isn't everyone listening to Skepta and um, and, you know, house music? Why isn't everyone trying to? Why isn't everyone driving around in a Mini Cooper Sport? Why isn't everyone driving around in a Range Rover? Things aren't the same. We're in a completely different culture and society over here. You're the minority, um, unfortunately. You are the minority. You are the different one. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to change. And I didn't change. I still like the things in from my English culture and my English heritage uh, in terms of style and dress sense and music and other things. I still like those things. Um, but I don't look at Americans weirdly for liking what they like i just tell them i'm not i'm not american i don't like that we're different um so yeah you know come in with an open mind and realize that things aren't going to be the same as back home this is a complete change and you don't have to change yourself to fit in you don't have to fit in you can be the, the minority you can be the difference um and i think that's big the biggest thing for most kids when they come over is they're like they've come from somewhere where they fit the mold of what they're meant to be and what they're meant to look like and what they're meant to act like and talk like and then they come over and they're they're not the, they're not the mold anymore and they look at everyone else like they're weird like oh i'm in a i'm in a cuckoo town here i mean i'm in weirdo town it's like well no they're from a different culture and background they have had a completely different upbringing you're different doesn't make you any weirder you're different because you come from a different culture so you're now the minority you're surrounded by people who aren't the same as you that's okay though you keep your you can keep your individual individuality and your your culture just don't force it on anyone and don't mock anyone for their um their difference because ultimately if we had a you know if myself and if you and myself were in a in a club you know we'll play me and you were both playing at Subbury together and we were in with all the english boys and all of a sudden an american guy walks in He's a great player and he walks into our changing rooms uh, for training or for a game and he's wearing something different and he listens to a different type of music and his, his attitude towards the game is different. Um, what might he be thinking? Because, you know, he's different. And, we, you know, would the people make fun of him, make fun of him? Obviously, in a, in a gentle pro, in a gentle way with an arm around the shoulder, I'm sure people would do that. But would we look at him weirdly? I'm sure we probably would. Well, that's now you. You're now that person. Um, and just think, how would you want that person to react? And how would you want that person to be? Would you like that person to hate all of you because you're different? Or would you want that person to embrace the fact that they're different from you and just be friendly no matter, regardless and just be a teammate? Well, that's what people want. And you can do that. Um, so open mind, massively, big thing. Be, go in with an open mind. Don't be closed minded. Not everything revolves around your Essex way of life or your or your Birmingham way of life or whatever it is. Not everything revolves around that. It's completely different culture and that's okay. Just don't also go and buy camo and try and join in because then you're <laughs> silly. Yeah, I think it's for sure what you're saying is definitely key and the word you say there, embracing, I think that's massive. Like over time, like even when I was working over in um, New Jersey for six months, 
over time you gradually find things that you do like about the culture or the environment you're in or even the music because you're you know you're playing in 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 radios on cars now and they're playing right. you know um southern music and then you're listening to that type of music and then by the time you get back home you find that you play that or you listen to it just by chance or if that's on you don't turn it off and you know if you can embrace the culture you'll have a much i think easier time to adjust as opposed to sort of almost fighting it and almost like you're saying looking at people like oh why are they weird and and stuff like that so i think that's massively key and, and for sure embracement is is the way forward i think just to sort of uh just to sort of wrap this up how's your life now how's things with you i mean uh, i can't complain um yeah i'm, I'm very I, I, I want to avoid using the word blessed i'm very um, fortunate um that i'm now a director at a youth club into atlanta um in, in the city of atlanta um you know doing what i love i'm coaching coaching um young kids to um from anywhere from sort of seven and eight uh, we have in our program all the way up to 18 19 um you know we are a feeder club to the newly uh, new in town, I think they're in their third season now, Atlanta United MLS team who are, I mean, if you're not aware of them, Google them and YouTube them. They are uber successful with, in terms of popularity, they have 75,000 people come to their, their home games it is incredible. Um, and to see the rise of that club has been fantastic from a front row seat. Um, I have friends now who work for them and um, hopefully one day, and I hope my employer doesn't hear this, but hopefully one day I'll be there as well. Um, but um, but I've loved it honestly. It, uh, this this my whole journey's led up to this point of just getting kids prepared for college, teaching them the game, um, being involved in kids' lives, and and trying to help them become a better soccer player and a better person. Um, so career-wise, I'm exactly where I want to be, making a life out of um, making a life out of uh, or making a career out of soccer. Um, I've just applied to um have my u.s soccer tutorage or tutor license so that i can teach coaching licenses over here um so hopefully i'll be hearing back from them soon about being able to go on to my uh, my tutor courses so that i can become a u.s soccer tutor which is just the same as becoming an fa tutor in england being able to teach the level one level two etc um so hopefully i'll be hearing back from that which will be another little additional project for me um i still play i play in the the local semi-pro league here when I can um, and then I play in the semi-pro levels in the summer um, as well just to try and keep my foot in the door I try and stay fit um, as much as I can and, and really keep my foot in the door playing because I know that I'll miss it when I, when I can't um, and I'm getting married in May um, and uh, you know that's that will make me a, a, a green card holder in America which means I'll be a permanent citizen uh, or permanent resident, sorry, not permanent citizen, I'll be a permanent resident. So I'll no longer have to deal with the US embassy in terms of visas and stuff like that, which um, has its own, its, its own um, level of difficulty. So that will no longer be uh, an issue for me and a problem for me. And I'll, you know, kind of be looking forward to the rest of my life in America, which I've kind of been trying to do for the last couple of years. So, um, and, and, and that's kind of the, the most important thing for me was was being able to make sure I secured my future here because I didn't want to have to jump back and forth from England to over here and, and kind of be here on a temporary basis the whole time. I wanted to have uh, a full fix on the future and, and making sure that I was able to, from a personal perspective, maybe start a family one day. 
because um, that was that's a goal of mine personally and also career-wise to start really putting my foot in on the ladder and, and, and climbing up the ranks in terms of a coach. So that now is secured, hopefully, for me when, when, when the marriage and stuff goes through and I start the process of, of applying for a green card uh, and, and doing all of that stuff. That, that's, that's a whole a whole bucket of, of challenges. But um, yeah, super busy, um, but love my lifestyle over here. Atlanta is a fantastic city. I, I really can't speak highly of it enough. It has incredible diversity. I think if anyone from England is even aware of any Atlanta culture, it would be their R&B and hip hop culture, which is still prominent to this day. Um, but more recently, it's more of a tech city because um, Google and Amazon are starting to set up uh, bases here. Porsche, Porsche just opened their first um, or their second United States headquarters here. Mercedes-Benz have their United States headquarters here. Um, and um, so it's becoming more of a tech culture now with a lot of money flying around the city, but also with that becomes a lot of really cool things to do, concerts and, and shows and um, festivals and um, there's restaurants, all kinds of restaurants. I think anywhere within a half an hour drive of where I live, I can go to any, any kind of um, um, uh, cuisine from any part of the world, you know, you name it, it's their Caribbean, um, English, um, you know, Chinese, Indian, Mexican, Spanish, French, it, it's all there. Um, so it's a real, real hub of a city. So um, I really love my life here as well. So uh, I don't plan on leaving anytime soon. Decent, mate. I wish you all the happiness. You, you, the way you speak is refreshing as well to hear. And, and, and I appreciate you for coming on, mate. And Absolutely. Hope, my absolute pleasure, mate. Hope the wedding goes well as well. Well, thank you, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, I really, um, just from my perspective, for anyone listening, I, I, I know that Reese is, um, is is a top man and um, is definitely someone to go to for uh, any life advice. And uh, I think I spoke to Reese recently about me trying to change my diet after seeing a lot of the things he's done. And I'm in the process of doing that now. I'm not always um, not always 100% strict, but I'm certainly on the on the process of, of trying to change to a bit more of a plant based diet. Um, um, so um, uh, I appreciate that from from you, and I really ho- I hope that um, you do that for more other people because that's changed my life. So uh, I want to thank you for that, and I think this podcasting you're doing is great as well. And I wish you all the happiness with it and best with it, mate. No, I appreciate that, mate. Don't worry about being strict. You just got to enjoy yourself, and whenever things come for you, they come for you. You just got to yeah. enjoy it like your life. You just got to enjoy, you know, spending time with yourself, making sure you're happy, and you know other things will come. But I appreciate Absolutely. it. Top man for coming on, Rixie. No worries, mate. I appreciate it, Thank you, pal. No worries. Take care, mate. Thanks, mate. Ta-da. As always, guys, really appreciate the feedback that people are giving at the moment, um, both to myself and the podcast guests that come on. Um, really, really appreciate it. If you can keep spreading the message by sharing the podcasts and sort of promoting them on your social medias, it helps massively. Like I said before, we just don't know who it may touch, um, and especially for something like this, um, given the opportunity for someone to go in um, apply their trade in another country is is crucial so yeah once again if you can keep that support up much appreciated more podcasts are going to be to follow got some exciting stuff again so stay tuned and keep plugging the message across to others appreciate it peace <laughs>